awesome, so beautiful and so powerful. And as we've already said, man, all over the world, people are declaring he is risen and the people responding, he is risen indeed. And I want us to say that again with all of our hearts. When I say he is risen, you shout back, he is risen indeed. We ready? He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Come on, let's give it up for Jesus again. So grateful. It is so good to see all you guys. Hi, Bella. So blessed for those that are new. My name is Jimmy Seibert. I'm the senior pastor here. And I got the privilege, get the privilege of being friends with people like Bella Ramos. And she is a seventh grader, loves Jesus, wonderful woman of God. And uh, we have been doing a series called Yet For Us. And we declare every time we gather the word of God. And Bella's going to lead us out today. So Bella, take it away. Hi, everyone. My name is Isabella, and I love Jesus. Stand with me as we read the Word of God together. 1 Corinthians 8, 5 through 6. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. This is what I believe and what I stand on by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, thank you, Bella. And for those that are new, um, we are going to be continuing our series next week. 1 Corinthians 13 talking about what does the Bible say that love is versus what does the world say that love is. Should be a powerful time as we need to discern rightly in this hour, what does the love of God look like even in the tough times that we live in. So looking forward to everybody joining us uh, with that journey. So hey, today is Easter Sunday. We're going to be talking about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus As I uh, thought about this morning, I was reminded of an experience I had in January of 2017. And I got a a unique phone call from a pastor here in town, a friend of mine. And he said, uh, hey, Jimmy, I got this unique phone call. And I was asked to invite 12 pastors from the city to come meet somebody who's very powerful and influential in our world. And I said, well, who is it? And he said, well, they didn't tell me. And they said they can't tell me until we get there. And he said, uh, you want to come? And I just out of interest alone, of course, yeah, I'll be there. And so we met just down the street here at the World Cup Cafe. And we were all uh, standing there uh, talking among ourselves, wondering wonder who it is. Is it a political figure? Is it a Hollywood actor or actress? Is it a rich, powerful business person? Somebody from America? Somebody from around the world? Who knows? Um, so as we're standing there, then uh, the side door opens and the security detail comes in and then uh, his aide comes in. And this guy, a little shorter than me with kind of curly hair and T-shirt on, starts shaking people's hands. And I'm in slow mode trying to say, who is this guy? I should know. Y'all are going to be embarrassed. I'm going to be embarrassed in a moment. And I'm, I'm running, I said, I know who this is. This is, it's Mark Zuckerberg. And so Mark Zuckerberg uh, of Facebook was doing a U.S. tour. And somehow he decided in Waco, Texas, he wanted to meet with 12 pastors to talk about what we see religion, the part religion is playing in our world today. 
and how Americans are responding to religion. And what do we see the, the ups and downs and ins and outs of that? So we had a, actually, uh, I just want to say to honor him, he, he talked a little bit, but he truly let us share, ask good questions for about an hour and a half. We talked about what we thought about Jesus, what we thought about religion, what we thought about people um, and what their response to God was in this hour. And about halfway through, my time came to share a couple of minutes. And I said, well, hey, what I find out worldwide is this, is that everybody's asking four questions, whether they know it or not. Every human is, and here, here they are. Who am I? Who is God? What is my purpose? And who am I going to do it with? If you want to know every person that you know and meet, whether they are able to articulate it or not, they're all asking this question. Because we are made in the image of God, because we're made for God, for a purpose and a plan, these are the four internal questions that every human's asking. Who am I? Who is God? What is my purpose? And who am I going to do it with? And I said, I believe God answers all of those questions through his word and through the church. And we talked a little bit about that. Um, later on, after our time, uh, uh, his aide called me over, and I had a little personal time with him, and the, he asked the question. He asked me, what are those four questions again? And we talked about, you know, uh, who, who am I? Who's God? What's my purpose? Who do I do it with? And he said, you know, actually, for Facebook, we do a lot of those. We answer a lot of those questions. We help people who want to get connected to other people to find their purpose and through these talk groups and different things like that. And I, and I said, you know, but that second question is really key. And, it's, and, and he, he said, well, you know, a lot of people, just whoever God is to you is, is fine. And I said, well, I don't, I don't see it that way exactly. Now, just so you know, I was really gracious. I didn't say, and then Jesus is Lord, Mark, bow the knee. I, I just didn't seem appropriate, but uh, kind of left him with that lingering question. And so just so you know that we were together, I want to show you a picture. There's uh, Mark and I, and, uh, and, you know, he has that on his desk, I think, uh, back in California. <laughs> Uh, well, to, to, to let you know that he probably doesn't even remember that we were even together, uh, I wrote a letter, an in-depth letter. I got his information from his aide. I shared the gospel with him. I said, hey, if you want to talk anymore about those questions, here's my phone number, and uh, here's my email, and he still hadn't called. So uh, continue to pray for Mark Zuckerberg. But what I find is that all of us are asking those questions, and until we answer those questions, we live a detached life. We feel like we're floating around somewhere trying to figure out who am I, who's God, what's my purpose, who do I do it with, and we keep grasping for the wrong things, and we find ourselves uh, not anchored but drifting. Let me give you an example that could show that you're detached right now, whether you know the Lord or don't know the Lord. Here's, here's a couple examples. You feel distant from God. If you feel distant from God right now, then you feel you are living a detached life life. And that doesn't mean that emotions don't come and go, but it's, it's what I call the outside looking in. You're watching people worship and you're saying, I'm not connected. Or somebody talks about God in a meaningful way and you say, I don't know him that way. I just want you to know that he wants to know you and he wants, you, he wants to be known. Um, but we feel distant from God along the way from the outside looking in. Sometimes we're disconnected and it, it becomes apparent when we're looking at Instagram. You ever looked at Instagram and got mad? Mad at your friends? Why am I not at that party? Why am I not in that picture? I thought we were friends. Uh, you know, or you find somebody that's really successful or really beautiful or really rich or really wealthy and you follow them on Instagram and then you get really angry and mad and, and that might be a good indication that you're disconnected. <laughs> you don't need Instagram to give you identity. 
God's already given that by his grace to you personally. We also find ourselves at times detached and caught in addiction. You know, it kind of goes like this. We start with, hey, I'm just going to get on my computer and numb out. And we start numbing out on a few things, and that turns to darker things, and eventually we find ourselves trapped. It can be with alcohol. I think I'll just have a glass of wine, which turns into a bottle, which turns into a brokenness, broken addiction. It could be, hey, I just want to have a, a friendly relationship, and that relationship turns into something outside the bounds of what God intended for you, and you find it an addiction. You find yourself codependent with someone uh, that God did not call you to be codependent with. Also, we find our own relationships along those lines. We find volatility and wondering, is my spouse going to stay with me? Am I going to stay with them? We, we find ourselves detached from the plan of God, and so we find ourselves drifting like in a riptide in the ocean. But I think probably the one that drives most, most of all of us that I do know uh, because of years of living life personally but working with people is we all live with this in, impending doom of I'm never enough. I'm never enough. I'm never beautiful enough, smart enough, rich enough, um, spiritual enough. I'm never enough. And I'm telling you, all these things are a result of sin. All these things are a result of, of our inability to see God. But through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the sin barrier was broken. The distance was broken so that we can come out of those addictions and brokenness and into a relationship with God. As a part of that journey, I want us this morning to look at the life of Peter as one who was disconnected, who got reconnected to God, and then became a force to be reckoned with in the earth around us. So if you have a Bible, turn to John chapter 21. Um, if you don't, of course, they'll be on the screen. But before we get into John 21, I just want to review John chapter 20. John tells the story of the resurrection in this way. Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb. She tells the disciples, John and Peter, come running to the tomb. They all have these encounters with the risen Lord, some veiled encounters with Jesus. And then John dialogues about after they went back and told all the disciples, I'm sure they were all saying, well, okay, you guys say that, but did you all just see what you wanted to see? Did you really see him or not? And then all of a sudden, while they're up in this room talking about it, Jesus shows up in the room. Wow. Wouldn't you like wanted to be there, right? All of a sudden, Jesus shows up. I don't know if he walked through a wall or he just showed up in the room. But the risen Lord shows up, and they see him, and he literally speaks peace over them, and they experience the peace of the Holy Spirit through the words of Jesus. Well, uh, Thomas shows up later, one of the other disciples, and they tell him, not only did we see the empty tomb, but Jesus literally stood in the room and spoke over us, and Thomas says, I'm not going to believe you unless I see it myself. So Jesus says, all right, Thomas, I'll show back up. He shows up with the group again, and he said, hey, Thomas, come here. And yes, Lord. <laughs> he said, look at the wounds in my hands and my feet and my side. Put your hand in there, Thomas. I'm real. I was dead. I was buried, but I've risen again, just as I said. And I live. <laughs> Can you imagine that? And Thomas is blown away, and he said, Thomas, Way to go. Now you believe, but blessed is he or she who does not see, but believes. And that's where we are today. By faith, we believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We experience that same encounter and intimacy that Thomas did in that moment. Now, you would have thought that Peter, of all people, would have been in a good place with the Lord. He saw the empty tomb. Jesus showed up face-to-face -face in a group and spoke peace over them. He saw him talk to Thomas. Uh, and so Peter was around the risen Lord, but he had not yet had his personal encounter with the risen Lord. 
You see, it wasn't everybody else's sin that had weighted Peter down. It was his sin. Peter had betrayed the Lord, the one that he had honored. He had betrayed the Lord. And though the Lord in general was encouraging the crowd with his uh, uh, beauty and his power as the risen Lord, Peter needed to hear personally. He needed an intimate encounter that spoke directly to his pain to be restored from his brokenness. And can I just say in this room today, God cares about the one. You're in a big crowd with a lot of people. Do you matter? Absolutely. You're so important to Jesus that he created you in your mother's womb. You're so important to Jesus that he died on the cross and he would, it's truly, absolutely true, he would have died just for you. He, he loves you so much that he's calling out your name today and he wants you to look him in the eye by faith even as we go through the scriptures this morning. You matter to God. Well, that sets us up, John 21. So let's read together. Starting in verse one, after these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And he manifests himself in this way. Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathanael of Cana and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will also come with you. They went out, got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. All right, so here we go. Peter has yet to have his personal encounter of forgiveness for his individual brokenness. And so because of that, he is in self-pity. He's in a place of, of, uh, of kind of sorting out life. And what is natural for people when you feel broken, when you feel isolated, when you feel like never enough, it's very natural. Peter says, I'm going fishing, and he was planning on going by himself. Can I just tell you the plan of the enemy is to isolate you always. That when you have pain and when you have struggle, the enemy's plan is to get you to wallow in that and wander away from the people that most can help you and get in a lonely place. And you get in a lonely place these days, it is really dark out there. You get on the internet when you're alone and lonely, I promise you the enemy has a setup to destroy you. Peter was about to go alone, and his, his friends knew enough. They said, we're going with you. You're not in a good place, and we're not going to let you go out there alone. You know, so many times in life, I've had the privilege of God putting somebody on my heart and me knocking on their door. And I said, hey, man, how you doing? I'm fine. You know, I'm like, no, man, what's going on? And they, they, they said, nothing. I said, well, um, I'm staying here till we get there. And uh, they, they, they might say, no, man, you just need to leave me alone. I just need a little space. I said, no, it's not good. I'm coming in the house. I'm just going to sit here with you. We'll just sit together until we get there. So many times when a friend or a family loses a family member or loses somebody close to them, they just need you to come be with them. They don't need you to talk a lot, don't need you to do a lot. I don't know how many times I've sat with people for hours in their house after a friend or loved one has died, just being with them. Jesus is called Emmanuel, God with us. And the way that people experience Emmanuel, God with us in this life is through us. We are Jesus with skin on him. And so when, when people have need, don't let them push you away in isolation. Pull close to them and stay with them. Well, uh, Peter's friends uh, do that. And then we see in verse 5, Jesus begins to call out to them. So Jesus said to them, children, do you not have any fish, do you? And they answered him, no, <laughs> obviously. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side, right hand side of the boat, and you'll find a catch. 
So they cast, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. (laughs) So they don't know that voice in the beginning. They respond to that voice, not knowing that it's Jesus. They see the miracle of Jesus, and all of a sudden their eyes are open that it is Jesus. Anybody ever had that experience in life where you, there's voices telling you to go one way and you make a good choice, you kind of follow that inner voice and you find out it was God in retrospect? Anybody ever had that experience? I remember when I was deciding on which college to go to and, um, and God spoke to me. I, and at that time, I wouldn't have said it was the voice of God. I'm just standing on the back of some crazy frat house party thing and as a senior in high school in another city. And I, I, it seems to me that it's slow motion, the voice this voice speaks to me and says, if you stay here, this will be your life. If you go to Baylor, this will be your life. It was a fork in the road, and I said, okay, I'm going here, and it changed the trajectory of my life. I'm standing here today because I made this choice instead of that choice, and I'm so grateful to God, but at that time, I wouldn't have said it's the Lord, but after one week of being in town and and one week of being among the people of God as a freshman at Baylor, I thought it was the Lord. (laughs) Many times, we see God as we look behind us and not always in front of us. Follow the voice of God. So anyway, so here you go. You've got, uh, they see the Lord because of the voice of the Lord. We had an interesting experience happen on Friday. I went out with uh, Jason Ramos and a group of friends. Uh, we went uh, walking with the cross down Hewitt Drive. We went to the HEB at Estates in 84, walked down to Midway High School and back on, on Hewitt Drive. And it's amazing the responses you get. You get a lot of honks, a lot of waves, and I'm sure we knew some of the people and then other believers. Get a few curses, you know, why do you do it? You know, that kind of thing. But it's beautiful to walk with a cross just because you don't have to say anything. It's literally the power of the cross on display. And you're carrying this cross on Good Friday. And, um, and, and unique things just happen. And so we were out in front of, I think it's like the Jiffy Lube, one of those places. We're out in front of the Jiffy Lube and we just pause for a minute. And um, a guy comes running out of Jiffy Lube. I mean, literally running. And he has his little uniform on. He works there. He's a guy in his 20s. And he runs up to us. He said, what are y'all doing? And I was like, uh, walking with the cross? I mean, uh, isn't everybody? I mean, it's Good Friday. You know. I said, hey, we're just walking with the cross, telling people about Jesus. And I said, are you familiar with the message of Jesus? And he said, yeah, a, a little bit. I, ha- I came from a Mormon background, but I haven't messed with any religion in a while. And, and I said, well, why'd you run up there? He said, I don't know. I just saw you guys, and I just knew I had to run over here and find out what's going on. And I'm like, okay. And I said, well, you know, that's a little bit like a blind man that was on the side of the road, and he heard Jesus was walking by, and he cried out, son of David, have mercy on me. It seems like you're looking for the mercy of God. We talked for a few more moments, and then... Um, we, we just said, well, hey, why don't we ask God what you need? Isn't that a great deal? You don't have to have all the answers. So there's about six or seven of us there. We, we just said, Lord, would you just speak to us right now? And our new friend, I just put my hand on his shoulder, and we just stood there for a while. And, and a couple people had some things they thought, I thought God would speak to his heart. And then Jason uh, Ramos says, 
I just keep getting Psalm 139, verse, starting in verse 13. talks about God weaving in your mother's womb that you're valuable to him. And the guy said, now what's that verse again? And I'm, I've got this little track and I'm writing it down for him to look up later. And he's got his phone and he Googles Psalm 139. Uh, so, and he said, what verse? Verse 13. And he starts reading it out loud. So this guy from out of nowhere doesn't know why he's run up to the cross, and he starts reading this, and may you receive this yourself as well. It says, for you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful all your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. And when he gets to this part, he starts crying. He starts choking up, and he has trouble reading further. The power of of the Word of God, the power of being known. and amazing? And skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth, your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God, how vast is the sum of them. What a beautiful moment as he read the scriptures to us and we all just sensed the love of God and the presence of God and we gathered around him and prayed for him that he would know the height, the width, the breadth and the depth of the love of God. And and then I invited him to the service and I don't know, he may be here today. If you are, please let me know at the end of the service. But he said, you know, I don't do the religion thing. I don't, you know. So he had his barriers and, and he didn't just fall on his knees and say, Jesus is Lord. But, you know, it was that moment where we said, you know, you needed a hug from God and he showed up. And then Jason and I hugged him and said, and you get a hug from us too. And we walked away. An encounter with Jesus. It was the Lord. It was the Lord that sent us to walk down the street. It was the Lord that had us walk by. It was the Lord that stirred his heart. And he will find the Lord because his heart is hungry for him. Isn't that beautiful? I encourage you, respond to those nudgings of the Lord. Respond to the nudging voice of God because he is wooing you to himself. Well, let's keep going with our story. Uh, chapter 21, verse 7. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. But the other, other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards away, dragging the full net of fish. And so here's what they did. Peter throws himself in the water, they literally pull out of the boat, and they both end up landing at the same time at the shore. It's an amazing thing. So Peter's personality is on full display here. So if you guys remember, again, just a little bit of review, and if you don't know the story of Peter, here's, here's a few little highlights from his life. Uh, Jesus is walking by on the water supernaturally. He tells uh, Peter in the boat, come on out to me. Peter begins to walk on water. Then he looks around, freaks out, and he sinks. Another occasion, Jesus has... Um, Peter with some other friends, and, and he is being glorified like there's an open heaven going on. And Peter begins to say, hey, this is really cool. We'll build a tabernacle. We'll do this, that, and the other. And this voice out of, out of heaven says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Basically, shut up, Peter. What are you doing? That's the bottom line. Another time, Peter gets really wowed by this revelation that Jesus is the Son of God. And Jesus said, man, flesh and blood didn't tell you that. God told you, way to go, Peter. And then a few verses later, Peter said, now, Lord, here's all we're going to do. It. You're not going to go to the cross. We're going to do it this way. And, and Jesus says, I rebuke you, Satan. Get behind me. 
Wow, he goes from revelation of Jesus to being the voice of Satan. Wow, this guy's wild. He's all out there. Many other occasions where he had foot and mouth disease, but when it finally really hit its apex was uh, at uh, the night that Jesus was betrayed. Jesus told them it was going to happen, and Peter makes this bold declaration, everybody else may forsake you, but I'm not. I won't. I'll go to the death with you. And Jesus looks at him and says, before the rooster crows, before the morning comes, you'll deny me three times. And it literally happened where Peter denied Jesus three times. And then there's this little verse um, in the Gospels that says this. After the rooster crowed the last time, Jesus looked at Peter. That glance of betrayal. Can you imagine that moment? Wow. So Peter is on a slide. He's on his own riptide. Until this moment, he's still trying to sort out, I can't believe I did it. But here's where the reunion is about to happen. Here's where forgiveness on full display. And if it's available for him, then it's available for us. It says this in John 21, starting verse 9. So when they got to the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. You know, that, that little phrase is always there to say there's, there's enough. This grace work of God, this net will not be torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him. Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord Jesus. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So here we go. Uh, Jesus is gathering his guys around. He makes fish for them because they don't have anything to offer themselves. He literally helped them catch the fish. Then he cooked the fish. He brought the bread. He said, all right, guys, come around here. He's having a family reunion of love and of grace and of beauty. And he's about to speak specifically to Peter. But they just know, okay, not only is Jesus risen from the dead, but he's invited us to sit at the most intimate place in fellowship with him. There's an interesting word for the word fire here. When they were invited to the fire, it's a, it's a Greek word called anthrakia. And literally it just means uh, uh, heaping hot coals. So it's a, it's a supercharged fire, if you will. And there's only two places that it's used in the New Testament, though there's many times that the word fire is used. It's used right here, the fire of the warmth of God, the forgiveness of God, the grace of God, but it's also used in John 18 at the same fire that, that Peter betrayed Jesus. The Romans were warming themselves around the fire. The sla a slave girl says, are you a Galilean? Are you a part of this tribe? He said, I don't know him. I'm not a part of him. He denied Jesus at the anthrakia of the fire of his failure, and Jesus had built an anthrakia, another fire, to forgive him and redeem him in the midst of his failure. The fire of failure becomes the fire of forgiveness and redemption in the name of Jesus. Woo! That is powerful. The anthrakia of God, the fire of God, is the judgment of God towards sin and is the purifying beauty of God toward those who draw near to God by faith. The fire of failure becomes the fire of forgiveness and redemption. Hey, there's one other place that it's used in the Greek Old writing of the Old Testament. The Greek word for anthrakia is used in Isaiah 6 
When Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up, he falls on his face. I'm a dead man. And I take an anthrachia, a coal of fire, and he puts it on his lips. And Isaiah is cleansed in a moment by the fire of God. And then he says, here am I, send me, which we're about to see the same thing happen to Peter. Whoa, that is big. That is awesome. So whatever your greatest failure is, your greatest place of pain that's caused fire in your bones, caused fire for other people, caused destruction, is the very thing that God will then meet you in and redeem with the fire of grace and the fire of mercy and the fire of forgiveness and the fire of love is greater than the fire of judgment. Whoo, that's enough for me. Beautiful. Well, speaking of the grace of God, I have a special friend with me to come share a testimony of God's grace. Heather Ray, our, uh, one of our pastors on staff, we're so proud of her. She's going to come share with you God's mercy and love in her life. Hey, friend. Good morning. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you. Um, so we overcome by the word by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Amen? Yes. And so I look like I have it a little bit together today. And there was a time before Jesus, spoiler spoiler alert, that I also looked like I had it together. I had a prestigious Baylor degree. I had a beautiful, big, huge, fancy, very expensive, fancy, fancy home. A fabulous car. The seats were like butter. (laughs) It was sweet. My kids were perfect. They obeyed. My husband loved me, brought me flowers every week. And I was the vice president of the PTA, and we were happy. We were so happy on the outside. But when you came in my house and you had time with me, you could see I was a bitter, angry, frustrated woman. I had a volatile marriage, and my kids often were at the end of my yelling and screaming and demanding of them. There was never enough. I was chasing the gods of of doing things my way, and I was chasing more, better, and it was never enough. That never filled me. I was empty, broken, and burdened inside. This went on for years until it ended with the... uh, very public and nasty divorce that I went through. And shortly thereafter, my beautiful mother passed away. I lost my cousin and then my grandmother, my beautiful home, and ultimately my identity. Because of my choices, I was no longer a daughter. Well, I was, I was uh, no longer a wife. My children went to go live with their dad. And uh, I just had strained relationships all the way around. I was broken. So I did what any bad decision maker would do. I numbed out. I numbed out to cocaine. And then you can do that for so long until you run out of money, you do methamphetamines instead. After about 18 months of poor decision making and then causing more pain and strife in my family, ignoring the pleas of others who love me to get help, I went further down the spiral. I sacrificed my relationship of my kids so that I could numb out with drugs. My kids missed their mom, but worse, I hated myself. So at the end of a five-day meth binge in January of 2014, I just had this knowledge. I just knew that I knew that day was the end. This is the crossroads. This is the day I'm going to die. 
Somehow I found myself late, late at night driving down I-35, over 100 miles an hour, I was going to end it. This was it. But supernaturally and suddenly, my car exited I-35. I kept hearing this phrase, you're at the crossroads, Heather. You're at the crossroads. And I thought, well, I'm high. So, but I just went with it. And uh, my car went into the parking lot of this small non-denominational church that had a light illuminating a simple wooden cross. And looking at that simple wooden cross, I kept hearing, choose this day whom you will serve. Choose this day whom you will serve. And I didn't know much, but I knew I was going to spend eternity in hell because of my sins and my brokenness, but beyond horror, beyond all things worse than you can imagine, worse than anything I ever dreamed of, I knew that my children, my three sons, would spend eternity in hell because of my bad choices. I had seven-year-old twins and a 12-year-old, great kids. They were going to spend eternity in hell because of my poor decisions true or not, I don't know, but it was enough for me to say, Jesus, I cry out, you are my Lord and Savior. Just take this pain. I submit to you this day. I will follow you for the rest of my life. And in that moment of just something broke off and in my mind's eye, I had a picture of a white robe being wrapped around me, of forgiveness and acceptance and that everything would be okay, but even better, I had knowledge that my children, my three sons, would have an invitation to spend eternity with Jesus Christ in heaven. And so everything began to change that day. And I wish I could tell you the next morning there was some confetti and streamers everywhere and the unicorns were dancing, but they weren't. They were not. And although God met me, I had a lot of work to do. When you destroy your life and you're at ground zero, that's a great place to start. And so part of my transformation looked like coming to Antioch. I got into church. I came on Sunday. I would go to life group on Wednesday. On Friday, I would go to the community feast. I attended women's brunches, women's conferences. I did the light up the dark run. I went to any, if the door was open and women were allowed, I was here. I was here. I started serving at the Grace House and it was just a really special time. And in my time with the word where I learned to hear the voice of God and to study the word of God and learn the ways of God, he showed me something. Buckle your seatbelt. I read in Joshua 24, 15. Choose this day whom you will serve. Mm. Because as for me and my house, I serve the Lord. Mm. And I read in Deuteronomy 30, 19. I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life so that you and your descendants will live. Mm. You could knock me over with a feather, but I, I'm still standing on that. And so in time, it would come that I uh, got a position part-time here on staff at Antioch because the doors were open. And then I, so I was a part-time administrator for our benevolence ministry. In that time, I saw that nine out of 10 requests for benevolence were from single moms. This was powerful. I had a revelation from heaven. Oh my gosh, Heather, you are supposed to be a single mom life group leader. 
thanks, Jesus. So I got about 10 to 15 of those women, and we met down the street in a friend's living room. I had a couple of friends from the feast keep their kids at the park across the street, and we got to know each other, and it turned into weeding. we were meeting regularly, and I'm telling you, the Spirit lit the flame that became a full-fledged single mom's ministry. Women were living in Acts 2 community where we were meeting the needs of other moms out of our own needs. We sacrificially gave and met the need. It was powerful. And so fast forward to four years later, here we are, and more than 150 women meet every Tuesday for word, worship, and prayer with dinner and volunteer child care. We truly are amazed at the work that is done in that ministry. Our um, our mission is to equip, empower, and encourage moms to level up spiritually, relationally, mentally, physically, financially. I've seen moms get GEDs. I've seen moms graduate college. I've seen moms get uh, better jobs. I've seen moms restore relationships with other family members. I've seen moms go through the discipleship school. I see moms serve on Sunday morning and at NCN Day and on Friday night gatherings. It's a powerful, powerful ministry, and this is holy ground that we stand on. And what I'm most excited about is to tell you today that as of this week, I have to tell you first, we have several women in our midst that have lost their children to Child Protective Services because of their poor decisions. Like me, they were numbing their pain with drugs, alcohol, and more bad decisions. But this week, this past week, not the first, not the second, not the third, nor the fourth, but our fifth single mom just received word that she was again being awarded custody of her children. All glory to God and much power. Sorry. But I can tell you that 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 fire that burned up my life That was the pit of my life has been the fuel to propel me to fight for single moms and women to raise their children in a godly home so that they and their children don't also spend eternity in hell. And so if any part of my story resonates in your heart, I ask today, choose this day whom you will serve. And I pray that you choose life. Thank you. Come on, the power of the gospel, the power of the resurrection to take any broken life and not only make it new, but then to use even that greatest place of pain is a place of reconciliation for everybody around you. This is the beauty of the gospel. This is the full turn, the full resurrection, not just partial forgiveness, not just partial restoration. Well, let's just continue and land the plane here. John 21, so that when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, or to Heather, (laughs) Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to them, then tend my lambs. He said to them again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, then shepherd my sheep. 
He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said him the third time, do you love me? And he said to them, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, then tend my sheep. So why did Jesus do that? Why did Jesus pull Peter aside? I believe two things. That Peter needed to hear his love expressed out loud. He needed to be confident in his own love for Jesus. Jesus' love for him was 100% pure. Jesus' forgiveness for him was complete. Jesus had already called him to preach and to teach and lead the people of God. But Peter needed to restore his confidence. And when we say, I love you, Lord, morning by morning, when we express gratitude for his forgiveness, when we worship him, it restores not only the connection and the attachment, but it restores the confidence that we need. And then Peter said, I mean, then, then the Lord said this, Peter, because you love me, now feed my sheep, tend my lambs, care for my people. Can I just say, it's not enough just to be forgiven. God wants to forgive you and empower you and equip you again with the purpose you were made for. And that's to love your neighbor as yourself at the very least. He wants to use your life as an expression of his glory, not just for personal forgiveness, but for personal empowerment to set others free. He wants a fire that never stops to come in and out of our hearts and out of our lives, not because we have to, but because we get to. You have the, you're the greatest value personally, and God has a ministry of grace in and through your life for his glory. Well, just to finish the story, you see Jesus, before he ascends to the Father, he says this. Now listen, I'm going to the Father, but it's going to be all right. It's going to be more than all right. I'm sending the Holy Spirit. His power is going to come on you to be a witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. And 120 out of the 500 that he had spoken to said, we're in, we're with you. And Peter was leading that group in that community. And this eclectic bunch of men and women and children, they got together and they waited and the Spirit of God fell on them. And Peter jumped up and preached the gospel. This is that. The church was birthed and we're here today because of the forgiveness and the restoration and the empowerment of Peter to lead the people of God for the glory of God. Wow. That's an Easter story. The resurrection is not partial. It's complete and it's enough if we come to him. Let's stand together. If our prayer teams can come quickly up to the front, be available. Um, I want to encourage you, listen, up on that landing up there in the, in the upper deck. If we can get the lights a little lighter, please. Thank you. And up here at the front, we have people available. All of these guys have been praying, Lord, would you use me today to impart grace to somebody else? If you're here in the sound of my voice, don't let anything or anyone stop you from getting the help that you need. Of course, you can pray right there with a friend or you can respond. But this moment right now is the most important moment of the service. This is we've worshiped, we've listened to the word of God, we've heard the testimonies of God. Now this is our response to God. So in this moment, let me just take you back to my questions with Mark Zuckerberg. Who am I? If you know Jesus, you're a child of God. If you do not know him, you can call on his name and become his son or his daughter. Who is God? Jesus is the personification of God himself. Jesus even said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. When we talk about Jesus, he is that exclusivity. He he creates exclusivity. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. But when you come to Jesus, you're forgiven of your sins and you're brought into the family of God and into the purpose of God. 
What is your purpose? To love God, love others. It's empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then who do you do it with? You do it with the people of God. So my invitation this morning is come to him and not away from him. Maybe one other thing I want to, is before we start responding, I, uh, as we were praying this morning for our service, we felt several things. And one of those uh, was for anyone in alcohol addiction. Of course, it can be any addiction. We want to pray for you if you find yourself trapped, but specifically in alcohol. If, if, if that's an addiction, we just prayed for you this morning. God, would you set my friends free wherever they are? However you got there, it doesn't matter. We want to help you get out of it. And we want to pray for you. Another thing we had as we were praying this morning was a picture of a guy hitting a wall and breaking his hand literally. And that may happen to you in your anger. Maybe you broke a bone in your hand or, or it affected a broken bone in your arm. But for sure, spiritually, when we in anger, when we hit a wall, it breaks things in us and people around us. But Jesus has come to restore things. If the anger's out of control, if it's caused personal pain or wounding, we want to pray for you. And as always, when we gather, we want to pray if you're sick in your body, if mentally you just need to be realigned, if, you're, if your heart's hurting, we want to help you. So we're available, and I'm going to pray. And all of us are just going to be praying right now. God, do I need to come up for prayer? Not just for the things I said. If there's anything, a broken relationship, a need of your heart or your mind, we're here to pray with you. You can start coming right now if you, if you need to. But if everybody will just close your eyes just one moment here. And just ask right now, Holy Spirit, would you come and speak to me? How do I need to respond in this moment? Just ask God, God, what do I need to respond to right now? And if, if you're being nudged by that voice to come for prayer for whatever your need is, just come on right now. Just start coming upstairs or downstairs. The rest of us, as we're here in this moment, if you're in the sound of my voice and you don't know Jesus, I want to take you to him right now. I want to pray with you and take you to him. If you're watching on the stream, you need to know Jesus. If you have a son or a daughter with you there in your living room, just pull them close. Ask them, do you need Jesus right now? If you need Jesus, I want you to pray this simple prayer. Lord Jesus, you can pray it right with me. Lord Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sins. Just pray it to him. Ask for his forgiveness. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose from the dead. I believe you've made a way to the Father just for me. I am yours, Lord. I am yours. I give my heart to you. I give my life to you. I am yours, Lord Jesus. I am yours. Now, while we're all just doing business with God right now, we're just talking to Jesus, asking what to do, how to respond with our hearts. If you just prayed that simple prayer with me, would you just boldly raise your hand? Doesn't matter who's around. Just let me know. If you prayed that prayer to receive Jesus, would you just boldly raise your hand for me? Doesn't matter who's around. I want to see where you are so I know how to pray for you. Anybody at all? If you've just prayed that prayer, yeah, all right. All righty, Lord, I pray for every man, woman, and child who raised their hand and their hearts to you, God. We proclaim them free from the power of sin and death. Lord, thank you that your forgiveness is full. We proclaim them free for whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And we thank you for salvation today. And we thank you for mercy and grace. Now, Lord, as we sing this song and let you seal your word in our hearts, may you, Holy Spirit, be poured out in this place with healing, restoration, freedom, and renewal. 
in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's sing together. Come on, if you have any needs at all, don't let anything keep you from getting prayed for this Easter Sunday. Here is our King, crowned with our shame, robed in our guilt, raised on our cross. It was our sin we were to blame, but in our place.